beat me up on the mamas of all mama shit. Hey, I'm looking through my telescope and I see a mothership. Is that you? Beam me up. Hey, DA, I'm thirsty, man. Can you beam me up for a cold one? Hey, DA, what's going on, baby? Stop me off and beam me up. DA wants the silly Oh, permission to get in that mothership. Is my window seat still available? Beam me up. What's going on, DA? Hey, man, I need you to do me a huge favor. My co-worker's a jerk. Oh, just beam me up, man. Get beamed up. Everyone else has. It's DA on CBS Sports Radio. It's been a good Thursday so far. This is hour two of show four of DA's vacation. Once again, it's Bogish and EJ in for DA. Greg Cassert is here for the second consecutive day. And Ryan Betcher has now joined the show because Pete has left the show for today and for tomorrow. We assume he's back after that. Pete is in full-on interview mode today. Interview Pete front and center, and we're expecting his arrival within the next hour. Uh, and maybe a question or two to Pete about what he's wearing, what you should be wearing for a meeting with him later today uh, about Sean's old job. You can hear us all the usual places across the country, all our great CBS Sports Radio Odyssey affiliates, the Odyssey app, the CBS Sports app, Sirius XM, Channel 158. We are streaming for the second consecutive day. WatchDA.com, YouTube, Twitch, and of course, it's a Thirsty Thursday so your toast, who, what you're toasting, who you're sending booskies to on this Thursday at Andrew Bogish at CBS, CBS Sports Radio. Uh, still to come this morning, two guests, one this hour. Paul Tenorio writes, uh, covers soccer for The Athletic. He has been on the messy beat and will remain on the messy beat. Uh, messy is two games into his MLS career and has been pretty ridiculously good. Uh, So we'll walk through the last, I don't know, 10 days of just soccer mayhem in Miami and in the MLS world with Messi, with Paul, later this hour. In our final hour, Matt Merchel, who writes about college football and UCF for the Orlando Sentinel, will join us ahead of what is a huge day again in college athletics. Expansion is probably never going to end. Its tires are roaring right now, and it's another school leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12. Another win in expansion for the Big 12 over the Pac-12. Colorado, as Greg mentioned in his update about 20 minutes ago, um, all we're waiting for for them is to basically send a quick email saying, hey, we'd like to come back to the Big 12. The Big 12 has approved the invitation. The Colorado Board of Regents meets this morning to rubber stamp um, that request to go, and then they'll go at the end of this year. And at the end of this year, as Greg mentioned, there's no Pac-12 media deal technically so there's no exit fee i mean a lot of these other conversations have revolved around how much do you owe when am i going to pay it who's going to give you this money when are you going to get it you're withholding that money this is a free transfer for colorado to go back to the big 12 where they live from 96 through 2010 uh we'll get to the colorado aspect of this in just a second in the big 12 as well but i've got to start with the pac 12 now i'm a lifelong new yorker I went to school here. I grew up here. It's not like I, a USC alum or an Oregon alum. So I'm not directly connected to this, and I'm not sure why I feel so strongly. But this bums me out that the Pac-12 is just disintegrating. Yep. These beautiful campuses, all of this beautiful history, and it's all basically running out the door because of years of mismanagement and terrible decisions. This goes all the way back to Larry Scott, the previous um, commissioner who came from the tennis world, who completely bungled the creation, the rollout, the um, 
the continued existence of Pac-12 Network. One of my best friends in the world, Mike Yan, was the face of the network, and I could never watch because you could never watch Pac-12 Network unless you basically lived in Pac-12 Network headquarters. It was one of the worst run operations, worst um, positioned operations in recent memory. Larry Scott leaves, and uh, this new guy comes in, and now he can't get a TV deal done. And because he can't get a TV deal done, they don't have San Diego State on board, and everybody just keeps leaving. And uh, honestly, I don't know what this conference is going to be, if it'll be a conference at all, because as Colorado goes, apparently maybe there's the possibility that it's going to take its four corners buddies with it. That's Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. And we've already, we're already losing teams to the Big Ten. So Oregon remains the one to go get. And why would you stay there? Because no matter what TV deal is coming for the Pac-12, it's going to suck. So it's not even going to be this big saving grace where they drop in with a you-know-what ton of money and all of this and all of that and all these reasons to stay put. This is an utter disaster. And I don't know when the bleeding stops. And it's it's it makes me angry that the Pac-12 is basically dead in the water. They're the ones that should be beating away teams who are looking for new homes. If you want to move up in the world, you should have been in, a, in the way things were going for forever. In the history of college athletics, the Pac-12 should have been a destination place. You should have been begging for them to come in. And now schools, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but now schools like San Diego State are calling their shots. I mean, we had the AD in here, and I joked like, you, you're about him being in the driver's seat. I mean, you could get this thing called the Pac-12 presented by San Diego uh-huh. State. And he kind of laughed. But like, that's the situation. It's a good school, but it's not necessarily a Pac. There's a reason why it wasn't in the Pac-12. You know, our friends in Boise are listening right now. I'm shocked that they're still not in the Pac-12 because that seems like a normal geographical fit. But guess what? That's not even the place for them to go anymore. Because it's not the best landing spot. I cannot believe that we, that a couple of people have created a world where everybody's leaving the Pac-12 and there's nothing this conference can do about it. The Rose Bowl is basically dead. These conference, you know, USC and UCLA are going to play completely untraditional opponents. Geography be damned. Travel crisscrossing the country. Their Olympic sports are going to be run into the ground physically and budget-wise by traveling to play softball or soccer or baseball in Indiana, not just cruising up and down the beautiful West Coast of this country. I, I just I cannot believe that we're in this situation. And kudos on the flip side to the Big 12. that has They, they have made all of the bad Pac-12 decisions have been good Big 12 decisions. And the one that came back to yes, from yesterday is as Colorado goes to the Big 12, the Big 12 has a TV deal and a good TV deal, which is why they're a place to go to and why they keep adding schools and are basically turning schools down. Their deal with ESPN just grows in value as they add more Power 5 schools. So the Pac-12 can't get a dollar right now to broadcast their games And every time the Big 12 adds somebody like Colorado, they cash in more. The deal is based on the number of schools. It's not like it's, okay, it's $100, and you're dividing it evenly between 10, 12, or 16 schools. No, 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 no. Every time a new school is added, the value and the price tag from ESPN goes up. So the Big 12 just keeps winning and winning and winning and winning. Brett Yormark is everything that the Pac-12 has not had in charge of it for the last, I don't even know now, 10, 12, 15 years. And in a blowout, 
the Big 12 keeps winning. And it doesn't even matter, P.S., that Colorado is arguably the worst Pac-12 football school. Dion, you know, pre-Dion, obviously. But if you're talking just from a sports landscape, like losing Colorado is not a huge deal. But losing Colorado is a huge deal because you're losing everybody now. And the teams that are still in the Pac-12, why would they want to still be in the Pac-12? Because what's their future? This is an abject failure and a disaster for the Pac-12. It keeps coming, and the Big 12 just keeps winning. They've got Colorado now. The geographical footprint extends even further to the West. They become more enticing for other schools who want to join. Now they've got Dion under their umbrella as well. Whatever he's going to do with Colorado now, they reap the benefits of that. I mean, it's just... It's not breaking news. It's not new, but it's just still startling to me every single time that the Pac-12 is such an utter embarrassment. Well, the other thing, too, you look back and you say, when was the last national championship team to come out of the Pac-12? It was USC in 04. So the rise of the (laughs) SEC, I think, probably also crippled the conference, where at one time... USC was a destination, and there were other schools that you would look to go to, Oregon, obviously, but the conference you know, it became one of the least powerful of the Power Five. I yeah. mean, the, the whole conference in terms of recruiting, in terms of on-field product, like, listen, they were always up amongst the top 25, but once you got to the nitty-gritty of the season, they would slip out of the top 10, they wouldn't really get into the playoff, and they, they never really showed up on that big national stage. So I think in the end, the on-field product, outside of the finances and the TV deals and things like that, you know, they just got lapped by the, the SEC, and in turn, the other conferences followed suit. But even the other conferences still did a good job of being number two to the SEC, right. and the Pac-12 didn't. It's like they're all It's all interchanged. There was a way to survive while the SEC was running ahead of you football-wise. I mean, the Big the Big Ten is okay, even though they kept mm-hmm. Alabama kept winning national titles or whomever out of the SEC. And the Pac-12 just went in the complete other direction and has never had a solid plan to fix anything. Well, even going back, you mentioned growing up in this area and the now the dissolution of the Pac-12, and I'm not uh, a huge college football fan. I follow the sport, but it is disappointing. And it goes back to even the Big East losing college basketball. You know, that the traditions of that going away and the creation of the AAC and all the merging and the moving that goes on. It's, it is very disappointing because you, what we grew up watching, it's gone. It's never coming back. And it's just going to continue to evolve. Does, doesn't it, it feel like there's a chance that we could be seeing essentially a two-conference college football league essentially like we see in the nfl like it looks like perhaps the big 12 and maybe they combine eventually with the big 10 becomes one side and then maybe you have an sec that eventually when the acc gets their deal situated because a lot of teams upset with the acc deal and and luckily for the acc their lawyers and their tv deals are so ironclad that miami's and florida states can't get out but eventually that they become their side and it kind of becomes an afc versus nfc deal when it comes to college football, it just seems like that's inevitable at this point. I think it would be two conferences split into two divisions. So you'd have, let's say, an SEC East-West like they currently have, and then you'd have the you know Big Ten North and South or Big Ten East-West, whatever it is. That would that would I could see that happening for sure. Yeah, we're gonna get the four somethings. Whatever I don't know what right. we're gonna call them. I don't know how hard certain groups are gonna hold to like using my name or keeping my name. Maybe it is just. SEC, ACC, Big Ten, and Big 12, and that's it. And there's, you know, 16 to 18 schools in each one of them. 
and that funnels into whatever the playoff looks like at that point. But that's just that's always seems to be the end game. And all you're trying to do now is get yourself into one of those spots, one of those four landing spots. So you're there at the end when the when that's the official kind of ending spot. And that's why I like seriously, is there going to be a Pac-12? Like it's it's no longer the Pac-12 that we know. But like, is it going to be anything as we keep going like this, or is it going to be, you know? Uh, the Mountain West, West. Basically, I think that's the likely result is that you'll have a Pac-12 by name, but you'll have very few original members. It'll be all the teams that bolt from the Mountain West and you know other conferences out that way. The SWAC, like you know, whatever it is, like it's just not gonna be quality the way we grew up watching it. I mean, Oregon is not staying there either. As no. more teams around them, the Pac-12 leave, they're the last thing to really go after. I mean, maybe they in Washington become some kind of package deal because the Huskies have had, you know, fairly decent success. It's kind of the Seattle market. So, I mean, they, they're going to have nobody left to hang their hat on because really that that is, you know, there are one and a half teams left that we truly as a nation care about in that league now in Oregon and Washington. Washington, Washington State matters. Arizona, Arizona State matters. But we don't, we, we'd be okay Heartlessly speaking, we'd be okay without them in the national football conversation. Gonzaga will be there eventually. Fresno State will be there eventually. Yeah, but, but Gonzaga not playing football makes their their conversation different. And I know for a fact that the Big East calls them almost daily. Like, please come to our league. Mm-hmm. And the Big 12 has also right. called, as me as a Gonzaga fan, like the Big 12 has had conversations with them as well right. about making them a basketball exclusive or maybe a basketball plus non-football right. sport kind of school. And apparently the Big 12 is fascinated with UConn. And UConn, uh, I don't know if they're equally fascinated, but there are some within the UConn kind of power structure that will um, anonymously tell the media that it's happening. It's just when it can happen, what it looks like, that UConn will go to the Big 12 because they, even though UConn's a basketball school, football matters, and their football team is a joke. It's a punchline, but... It needs a league to be in, and it goes in the Big 12, and it immediately gets a huge push-up in legacy and validity. And then on the Colorado front, I mean, to me, it feels like this could be a big boon for them, potentially. I mean, I know uh, the move to the Big Pac-12 didn't go as well, but when you think of Dion being there and his ties to the Texas area, of course, playing with the Dallas Cowboys, yeah, his former school was based in the Dallas area, I mean— Colorado, I feel like, could be on the verge of something big here with kind of being probably in a more realistic kind of destination and a, and a more viable fit for them uh, moving forward with Dion as their head coach. Yeah, and I'm I'm a nerd. Like, geography matters to me. And I, if there's, it doesn't matter to anybody else anymore, but it still drives me nuts when you're not, when you don't play where you live, basically. Yeah. Colorado feels to me like a Big 12 school, not a Pac-12 school. So from that vantage point, like, they should be playing the Nebraska's of the world or not that's a, that's not the right reference at this point but they should Oklahoma, be playing they should be Oklahoma playing State, teams in the right. central time zone not they should be coming east not going west so this at least makes more sense to me on that front exactly exactly it's going to be coach prime man 
<laughs> like you just it, it, we keep kind of doubting how these things go but it just feels like as we move forward it, it really feels like he could be building something big there yeah and I'm, i guess he's back dancing already in the in the locker room this week i think i saw that video yesterday after another surgery on yeah. that terrible i mean heinous looking footy keeps showing everybody ew there's pictures of it yeah oh, i'm not looking no yeah don't do it definitely not for no. breakfast what was he posting on his Twitter, his Instagram? I don't know. I just there's a there's a foot with fewer toes than it's supposed to have, and health issues are serious. Like he almost had to lose that foot. I right. get that, but I don't need to see it. Yeah, because he does he have diabetes? I'm not or sure. Or is it just what, a blood flow problem to the foot? I it's always described as that, but I don't know if that's the lone thing or that is a symptom of a bigger thing. Oh, I think he had turf toe. Yeah, I believe it started with turf toe and turf NFL, toe? and it just never it got it's something that was chronic. Yeah, and oh. it eventually became blood clots, and now that's oh look, he's on TV right now. Turf toe needs a better name. It yeah. does not sound bad. Right, it's a horrible it's injury. It's Really bad, apparently. It's a, now I didn't know about this that the, the the high end of like down the road problems that he has, but just turf toe in and of itself, that injury sucks. How about we bring back trench foot? That's its own thing, though. That's already been claimed, but it's not used anymore. So why can't we combine them into into one awful? ailment I, I think you need a trench to have trench foot so like it's just it's it's not going to make sense when he's not in the trenches all right literally question, speaking question for the youngins do you know what trench foot is i do not yes you know what it is it's when the water and bacteria and starts to rot your toes and look at this go. guy that was a world war one thing from just standing in dirty putrid water and they would ultimately lose toes and feet and hmm, nasty makes for, makes for good eats what about dead toe for uh, for a new dead toe? name for turf toe, like if we're, if we're saying turf oh, toe, it's yeah. too soft. What we're about re, dead we're toe? We're rebranding it. Yeah, because I mean, and I think about like as a kid growing up, I mean, we talk about the advancements of like player safety. I don't know how many times I saw guys playing on turf toe in the NFL, and it's being like, oh, he's out for a week and then he's back, and now you know we're seeing the ramifications of what that can be with Deion Sanders. It's definitely been undersold. So I'm wondering if. Dead toe or killer toe. I don't know. Yeah, zombie toe. <laughs> zombie <Killer> toe. toe. <laughs> uh, P.S. One of the voices that you heard in there is Ryan Betcher, who's being Pete today. And Ryan continues his hot streak of T-shirts. He's got an average yeah. Joe's T-shirt on from Dodgeball. Elite. It really is. And you do a good job yourself, Matt. EJ. Appreciate it. But Ryan's tough to beat recently. Well, we yeah. should have mentioned on the air yesterday that EJ yesterday wore a Good Burger T-shirt which I don't think we addressed on the air. I we mentioned it to him off the air, so I don't want to take away from EJ and his collection, but yeah. And I'm pretty sure that I was here for your first day on the board, right? Ever? Right? Or for the DA. For DA. Yes. Yeah, I was here for your morning debut, and you had a stellar debut. The so, day that Pete called out, I got to right? tomorrow now, so. Yeah, so don't screw it up, okay? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, when we come back, we'll get an update from Caserta, and we'll talk some MLS messy soccer with Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. All of that after this on CBS Sports Radio. It is the DA show on this thirsty Thursday morning. Send us your booskies, your toasts, who or what you're toasting at CBS Sports Radio, at Andrew Bogish. We'll do our toast. We'll read some of yours next hour. Stunned to a news next hour as well. More college football as well with Ohio State and Michigan considering changing when they play each other every regular season because it may create issues for the Big Ten title game in the future. 
Uh, as Greg has teased, there is more to discuss on the NFL running back front. New day, new comments, uh, more proof that there is no help coming for these running backs who would like long-term, big-money commitments from teams. Uh, and we'll do some baseball. Didn't get to Shohei Otani last hour. We'll try to do that this hour. Plus, Rob Manfred gets an extension as commissioner. Yay. Uh, <laughs> soccer in a second. Paul Tenorio's covering the messy front for the Athletic. He will join us after headlines with Greg with two Gs, and that second G is for hotness. What's up, Greg? <laughs> All right, folks, so uh, we were talking about Jim Ursay. It actually was a tweet, so unfortunately no audio of my favorite country star. Quote, NFL running back situation. This is from the Colts owner. We have negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise in good faith by both sides. To say now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling, quote, bad faith. Jim Irsay is an idiot. That's all I got on that. That was in the tweet, too? Well, that's uh, your that, add-on. That, that might have been editorial. Okay. Okay. Um, so we mentioned that quick running back meeting from over the weekend. And Najee Harris of the Steelers shed some light on what was discussed. He said that the group spoke to the NFL Players Association, asking officials about one hypothetical resolution using franchise tag numbers that are not assigned by position. They're choosing when to devalue the running back. And what I mean by that is that if uh, numerous times, um, you know, I can speak on my behalf. They ask me alone, you know, just, you know, the, the game's going to rely on you. You need to do this for the team. You got to do this right here. Hey, it's time to close out the game. Hey, we need to, to lean on you right now. And that happens in another, a lot of places like Cleveland, you could say, Tennessee, you know, and, um, even with the Niners, you know, there's numerous teams where this happens at. And we've seen the franchise tag thrown around for players like Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs. It comes in at just over $10 million, which is way less than any other position player. Only kickers and punters at $5.39 million receive less on the franchise tag. Quarterbacks, corners, wideouts, offensive and defensive linemen, and linebackers all get franchise numbers in excess of $18 million. So, yes. It is unfair, and it should be renegotiated so that everybody gets roughly the same number. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know that everybody should have the same number. But ballpark. But the $8 million gap is seems too significant. It's it's not even close. $5 million more than kickers and punters? <laughs> and I think the average kicker salary is, is higher. higher than the average running back salary, which doesn't make sense either. And then yesterday, to add insult to injury, Cole Komet gets four years and $50 million from the Bears. So that much money going to a middling tight end. Yesterday, we reported here that Kadarius Toney had another surgical procedure on his knee. That's not the only injury for Chiefs wide receivers. Speedster John Ross was placed on the reserve-slash-retired list. You might remember him. First-round pick of the Bengals in 2017, number nine overall, one spot ahead of Patrick Mahomes. He'll be remembered Whoops. mostly for his 4-2-2 40-yard dash at the Combine in 2017. That is still an NFL record. Um, so it appears that the 27-year-old's career is done. The honeymoon is clearly over for the Jets with camp opening a few days ago. And everyone saying they were flying around at practice. Yesterday wasn't so good according to assistant coach Aaron Rodgers. I thought we had uh, five practices where we improved, and then today was kind of a step back a little bit. Uh, felt a little bit tired, I think, as a whole. 
mentally made a lot of a lot of mistakes. So we got to clean some stuff up, but that's part of training camp. Rodgers, of course, has his new contract in place, two years, $75 million guaranteed. Down from the original $110 million he was owed on the deal, so it's a $35 million pay cut that opens up some flexibility for Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. Sala certainly on the hot seat this year. I joke around, but I'm serious, too. They, I mean, they, the guy glows in the dark, so he's, uh, he's a pretty damn good quarterback. He should probably get that checked out if he's glowing in the dark. I believe that means he's radioactive. Yeah, is that a good thing? I don't know. How would that be a positive? Is that how you lose a foot or a toe? I don't know. That's Maybe probably one toe. of right. Isn't that <laughs> one of the early, early signs of dead toe? Is you start glowing in the dark. <laughs> no matter yes. what it is, talk to somebody about it. Yeah, please consult your doctor. If you're glowing for more than four hours, please contact your doctor. <laughs> this update brought to you by Blue Chew. By the way, Pete the Body Bilotti. <laughs> Is out in the newsroom. Of course he is. He was here before 8 o'clock. Of course he was. He's got his thinking man's hat on. Is that true? No. Is that a fedora? That is... <laughs> like he's a domino player in Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> Moving those tiles around. Who's going to be sharing that room with me? So, uh, yeah, the body is out there. And uh, I believe as our guest here, that means it's time for me to say adios. Thanks, Greg. We'll see you again in just a second. Uh, yes, our guest is here, much like Messi is now in MLS, and two games have gone really, really well so far for Inter-Miami. Paul Tenorio is covering it all for The Athletic, and he's with us here on this Thursday morning on CBS Sports Radio. Paul, it's Andrew. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being up early. We appreciate it. Um, to oversimplify things, two games, three goals and an assist and two wins, this is basically as good as it could have gone for Inter-Miami, right? I think so, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a Miami team, let's not forget, that sits in the bottom of the Eastern Conference in Major League Soccer. They hadn't won in 11 consecutive games before Messi arrived, and now they've won twice in two games that he's played, and he's been the difference in both of those games. Obviously, the memorable free-kick goal in the first game against Cruz Azul, the final seconds of that game to win it, and then against Atlanta United, just the dominant performance, the type of performance that we're used to seeing from Messi, whether it was at Barcelona or PSG, the Argentina national team. And now we're seeing it in Major League Soccer or in this League Cup competition at least. And I think it, it shows that, you know, to no surprise, to no one's surprise, you take the best player in the world, best player of all time, and you drop him into Major League Soccer, he's going to make a difference. And, and that's, that's certainly been the case so far. So what is fair to expect from Inter-Miami as a team? I know, um, you know, the standings to big climb up. Like, what could they accomplish with him now the rest of the way? I mean, I think, I think certainly the expectation. Look, MLS is set up to, it's not very difficult to make the playoffs. Nine teams in each conference make it to the playoffs. It's the first time that that is the case. So there, there are some stats out there about, no one in inner Miami's position outside of the COVID year has ever been able to climb from this many points through this many games in the playoffs. Well, this is also the first time in MLS history that, you know, nine of the 15 teams in the East are going to make it into the playoffs. So I think, you know, the expectation certainly will be that they're going to be able to climb out of that hole as difficult as that climb will be, but you've got Messi, you've got Busquets, Jordi Alba is still coming. He's expected to get his visa soon and join they're adding more young, uh, young players to this roster as well. You, what they, what they call an MLS U22 players, which are players under the age of 22 where a team has unlimited funds to spend on the transfer fee. 
uh, a cap on how much those players can make in salary, but unlimited funds in the transfer fee. They've already signed one player under that rule. They expect to sign two more. So this team is only going to get better. Gregory, one of their best players who's been out injured for the last few months, is back training on the side again, and they think he'll be back for the, the stretch run of the season. So I think, you know, not only are you putting Messi into the middle of the team, but you're getting better around him. Um, and, and it's going to be a really fun climb to watch because, you know, that is the question. You take, you take Messi, you put him into the worst team in Major League Soccer, what happens? Well, we're about to find out. Is there going to be much resistance on a game-to-game basis defensively for Messi, or is he going to shine every single game that he plays for them? Yeah, I mean, Messi and, and, and defending are not usually words you put together. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and well, for so good reason. I guess let I mean, me rephrase look, that. Is he going to embarrass the MLS by coming in and walking in and just eviscerating teams, or will some of them be able to at least barely handle him? No, yeah, I mean, of course, I think I think teams will. There are going to be games where he doesn't have as big of an impact as he had the other night. Uh, I thought Atlanta United was really poor, uh, for sure, in that game. Defensively, you know, they looked stretched. This is a team that, in Major League Soccer, is one of the worst defensive teams in the league, so you got to take that for what it's worth as well. But, I mean, let's let's look through Messi's career. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, if you go through his season-by-season season from Barcelona and PSG, his goals scored in the regular season starting in 2011 are 50, 46, 28, 43, 26, 30. I mean, this guy's scoring 30 and 40 goals in the top leagues in Europe. He scored 20 goals with 20 assists last year in France. Um, so, yeah, he's going to score some goals in this league. And I think, you know, it's some of it will be about bad MLS defending. Some of it will be that this is what Messi does. He scores goals and he makes goals happen. And I don't think it'll be as easy as it looked the other night against, like I said, a, a, a bad defensive team that also played poorly. But I think that the expectation should be that we see Messi scoring consistently in this league. And, you know, I, I think after watching the other night, you know, my expectation for how many goals he will score went up. And I already had high expectations. Paul, there was a video yesterday, I think I saw it almost at this very time yesterday, of people when Messi was subbed out of the game just getting up and leaving because they didn't want to stay for the rest of the 30 minutes or so. Um, is that a bad thing to see if you're MLS, or are you okay with the fact that they were just there in the first place? Well, Messi was subbed out in the 77th minute, so there were 13 minutes left in the game, and the score was 4 nothing at the time, and it was a Tuesday night in Fort Lauderdale. It was 100 degrees, basically. So I don't have a problem with people leaving. It's the same reason people would leave in the eighth inning of a ten nothing baseball game, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I, I listen. Was, I left the baseball game this weekend for that exact reason. So I, yeah, I, I made that you know, call you, myself. Yeah. Whether it was, I mean, yes, they left partly because Messi was subbed out, but it was four nothing. That game was over, and it, you know, you try to beat the the, the midweek traffic out of the stadium and, and get home. I had no problem with it. I don't think it's linked to. I mean, look realistically, we know Messi is bringing a new audience to Major League Soccer, right? There are eyeballs. I mean, look at what happened to Inter-Miami's Instagram account going from a million followers to more than 11 million followers now. People watch Messi wherever he goes, and that, that ultimately is a good thing for Major League Soccer. They have to find a way to capitalize on those eyeballs. In fact, that's a story I wrote today about, you know, the debate of whether they should change some of the restrictive roster rules to allow teams to spend more friend, more freely and improve the on-field product even more to try to take advantage of those new eyeballs. But I have no problem with people leaving 
you know, 12 minutes before the game's over when it's 4 nothing, and, you know, the, the result is decided. I, whether, whether Messi was still on the field or not, like that, that's a totally justifiable decision for me. This is Paul Tenorio of The Athletic with us here on CBS Sports Radio. Um, going back to what you just said, your new piece um, at The Athletic and in previous ones, too, you've talked about um, the fact that Messi actually, his contract was with MLS, not Inter-Miami. This is not, you know, the teams kind of act as one big group, not individual things. For those who haven't read your piece yet, just walk us through the difficulties of bringing Messi in because of the MLS structure in this regard. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was the difficulty for was matching. Well, you can't match the financial offers that were on the table for Leo Messi, right? I mean, the reports out of Saudi Arabia were that the offer was between one point three and one point six billion dollars for three years. There's no matching that financially, no matter in any other league in the world, essentially. And so they had to try to find a way to put a deal together that would be enticing to him, and you know, included some some interesting aspects like equity stake in Inter Miami. Um, that will kick in once he's done playing. You know, obviously there's a partnership with Apple and Messi as part of the deal. Apple is the broadcast partner for Major League Soccer. Adidas, uh, Fanatics, both corporate partners for Major League Soccer, also both structuring deals with Messi um, in addition to the salary and bonuses that he'll make. But yeah, it is interesting because the contract, it is a single entity league. So all the contracts for the players are with Major League Soccer, not with the teams. And that creates I think differences in some of the, the behind-the-scenes parts of the negotiations, we don't usually talk about things like image rights, that you know, usually the negotiation is between the team and the player over what percentage of the image rights the team holds versus what the player holds, how you compensate for them. Well, Major League Soccer holds those rights for the player. So those types of things just added layers of lawyers and contracts, and it, it pushed the, the length of negotiation time longer and longer and longer to the point where Messi didn't sign his contract until the day before he was being unveiled. The official announcement didn't happen until the day before he was being unveiled. Not ideal to drop that news on a Saturday afternoon, but mm. that's that's the way it went down. And Paul, I'm guessing everybody wanted Messi in the league, but do we know if there are particular parts of the agreement that got pushed back from other other teams, other owners? Yeah, actually, you know, from everything I've been told, the owners have been very much on board with this. And it's a pretty simple equation. When you are a single entity league, everyone benefits from Messi being here. So, for example, MLS for a long time has had a revenue share on gate receipts. So what, my, what Miami is going to be doing this year and in the future when they get a bigger stadium in 2025, you know, that success is going to be success for MLS. Every away game that Messi goes to, those owners are making significant money selling tickets for those games. In some cases, more money for that game than they will for the rest of the, their home games combined. So, this is a this is an example of you know one player lifting the revenue streams for leagues for teams around the league, and I think for that reason, owners aren't really pushing back. Not only that, but we know that there's going to be more people subscribing to the MLS season pass on Apple. We know sponsors are happier, and and you know the prices go up, eyeballs on the league go up. Those are all good things for Major League Soccer, and I think because this league is set up in a way where. It's not franchised the way other professional sports leagues are, where there is kind of a what's good for, you know, what's good for one can be good for all. They reckon, the owners recognize that in this case here with Messi and, and have embraced it. Now, I think, you know, I've been getting some funny text messages from some sporting executives around the league and around American soccer saying, oh, are they all going to be on board if Messi's, you know, beating up on their teams for <laughs> nothing every week? I, I, you know, maybe that remains to be seen, but from, a, from an economic standpoint, 
all of these owners understand that this is going to be a commercial success for Major League Soccer. And from everything that you've written, it seems like Messi has been an amazing teammate and uh, you know buddy already to the guys. Was that all to be expected, or is any of that surprising that he is trying so much to fit in so quickly? No, I think that's the expectation when you join a team, right? And I think even some of the the little stories that have come out, you know, those, those are efforts that I think any reasonable player would make upon joining a team to try to kind of integrate into the into the side. Even when you hear heard like the funny stories coming out of the Galaxy locker room about Zlatan making fun of guys or whatever, you know, that was his way of trying to integrate into the locker room. You know, Messi's finding his own path um, to do so. You know, from everything we've heard, there. In the history of Messi, like when you look at his relationship with clubs, there's been tensions that have existed, but most of those have, have kind of been like higher level, right? Between the executives of the team and Messi, power struggles really, right? Because Messi, as we've been talking about, controls so much power, so much influence commercially that he's able to exert that. Within the locker room, though, you can see from the number of former teammates of Messi that are trying to come to Miami to play with him, that he's been well-liked inside of a, inside of a locker room. And, and, and those are the stories that are coming out now of Inter-Miami, holding up the jersey of 20-year-old Ian Frey, who tore his ACL for the third time in three years in Messi's first game, um, you know, helping out some of the younger players after training, uh, spending time with some of, those, some of those guys, jumping into the WhatsApp group to, to get some tickets for, for a player that was looking for him. So, um, yeah, to- totally positive so far, and and I think even the employees around the around the team have been surprised in kind of how their interactions with Messi have gone in the in the early stages. Paul, this was great stuff. Thanks so much for being up early for us. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course, uh, that's Paul Tenorio, the Athletic. Uh, I'm a big Athletic guy. I love the site. Um, I love the way they they kind of present stories. And Paul's doing a great job. And some other guys uh, on the Messi beat. It is. A fascinating story. It's still one that we don't know completely how to comprehend because we just don't know how to comprehend soccer. But one of the things that Paul mentioned in terms of like social media, if that's a tracker or an accurate tracker of anything, like going as a team from 1 million to 11 million followers because Messi joined and like he himself has like triple the followers that LeBron has. Like, it's just, it's astronomical how important he is to the point where they have armed security at headquarters because people just need to be near Messi and will try to run on the pitch, will try to walk into the building, will try whatever. Like, that's how that's how strong they need to protect this guy because there's that many crazies out there trying to just get a left hand on Messi's shoulder to say they touched the greatest soccer player of all time. And in his first game, basically a walk-off goal. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better if you're MLS. When we come back, we'll do some baseball. Shohei still an angel, and the Angels in general buy in before the deadline next week. That's next here on the DA Show. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. This is CBS. It's the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio. 
Thanks again to Paul Tenorio of The Athletic for joining us last segment. Next hour, Matt, uh, no, excuse me, two hour. This is the last hour of the show, a little more than an hour from now. Matt Merchelle of the Orlando Sentinel is on the show to talk us through the latest college football news. It's a Thursday, Thursday here on the DA show. Dixieland Dan tweeting in, uh, I'm toasting to heat battling items, gold bond friction defense, pickle juice, dry fit cooling t-shirts, AC and ice cold beers. Damn this 110 degree heat. Give me winter. I can always put more clothes on. There's only a certain amount I can take off before I get arrested. Booskies. That was one of uh, a handful of pro air conditioning anti-heat toasts. It is officially too damn hot. We are here in the Northeast or entering three days of plus 100 heat indexes, indices, whatever the plural of index is. And this is my least favorite weather. Me and humidity are enemies, especially when it's hot and humid at four in the morning on the railroad platform. When there's no sun, it should not be hot and humid. It makes sense during the day, hot, humid sun. I don't need stale air at 425 in the morning. I hate this. And Dixieland Dan is mostly right. Now, I think his idea of winter is slightly different than ours here in the Northeast. But give me May and give me September here in this area where, you know, we're in the 70s, maybe 80 on a hot day. It's warm enough to go in the pool if you need. But then up go the windows. Beautiful, crisp, dry air to sleep in. That's my weather. I love this. Of give course it, give you it would. I, I can't deal with the cold. I can't deal with the snow. I don't want none of that. Okay. So if there's some days we got to deal with some warm weather, it's okay. Go inside, get some air conditioning, and you're fine. Shoveling. And in a couple of days from now, it'll be 85 again, and it'll be great. Yeah. That is the payoff, apparently. Like when we get to Sunday, it's supposed to be a little more palatable here. But, and shoveling does suck. But another pro winter take for me is I take my jacket off and I get here and I still feel fresh. I come in the summer. I showered an hour ago. I show up here. I'm already sweaty, dank. I don't trench foot is near. I don't need any of that. But isn't it good though? It's almost like when you're a, a basketball player, a football player. You go through warm ups. You get a little lather going, and then you walk into the studio. No. You're firing off on all cylinders. I don't need a lather while I'm sitting here in an office around other other people. It's why I don't understand, and they, I think people have a problem. The people that bike to work and then just come to work in a full sweat. That is crazy to me, and I, and I I don't know if there's anybody who does that here, but in my old job there were several people who did that, and yeah, and that was a job where you were wearing nicer clothes, so you know they're now wearing a dress shirt that's you know looks like Sean Miller in the third quarter of a Big East basketball game. Now Kaplan at one point maybe he still does like bikes kind of here cuts it in half somehow. There is a Kaplan bike. Um, there are others who in this company drive halfway. And then bike the rest. They park. They don't want to park down here. They park halfway down from their house north of the city. And then they'll ride their bike the rest of the way here. And that person was famous for taking like a bizarro shower in our handicapped bathroom stall where there's like a full sink. He'd go in there and like splash water on his pits and stuff like that to kind of refresh. But you don't need to go. There's a, I'm not, EJ, the other day I was downstairs at, I don't know, nine in the morning. And a guy came into our building in dress pants and dress shoes and a nice T-shirt that was so drenched in sweat, it was like hanging off and was so heavy. 
and he had a bike helmet under his, under his arm. Like, you're just going to go sit at your desk like that that's now? That's awful. You can't do that. Yeah, that's that's bad. That's think, an HR violation. Yeah, you got to understand how to work the heat and deal with the heat and manage the heat. So I get that part. And trust me, I think we've been living that in this control room because today it smells great. Or I don't know if something happened, but it smells like something died in here for the last two <laughs> weeks. I think, Ryan, you, maybe I don't know if you smelled it, but like I, I've been oh, walking in Pete. here for the last two weeks, and I'm like, what is that smell? And I was talking to um, um, the, the, the producer earlier earlier this week from uh, Amy Amy Lawrence's show, and I was like, "What's going on here? Like it was it was crazy." It's amazing that this place stays on the air every day. It really does. Between smells and exploding vending machines, it's just moss, not. Yeah, it's moss just growing in, in, in the in the control room. Just it's not a place to work. Uh, still haven't talked baseball. At some point, maybe we'll do that. I don't know. When we come back, though, Ohio State and Michigan maybe changing their calendar in the near future. It's the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio.